Are you ready for the end of the world? The horrific. Yeah, hopefully not too horrific. But if it's the end of the world, I suppose. End of the world. All right. (laughs) Yeah. This is your community spirit. The show about caring, sharing, and preparing for the changes needed in the world as we know it. Let's bring back the circle again. The circle of family, the circle of friends, the circle of being. Wake up and be healthy and therefore wealthy to the peace and joy of Mother Earth. This is your community spirit on your community radio. This is Ord Energy Month. And this is Tree Song. And we are here to talk about... <laughs> just like, you know. What are we going to talk about? We'll talk about the weather. Well, our show... I just filled out the staff form and it said, when did your show start? You know, when did you start volunteering with DBX? Rough guesses are okay. I wrote summer 1999 because I don't remember. I do remember August because, but I'm not sure. I do remember that the theme song of our show was, it's the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine because it was 1999, right? Yeah. So Y2K was coming. So, um, the unofficial motto is, uh, doom and gloom with a sense of humor, right? Yeah. So, I think it's very important to, whenever we talk about something bad, to give a solution. Yeah. To give something to do. And I hope that helps. Um, something to do. What do we do about fracking? We've been talking about it a lot. Yeah. Is there something we can do about it? Yeah, well, they're still they're still accepting comments at JCAR. Um, I mean, they may not want the comments, but <laughs> just like, they have to accept them because they're public officials. Uh, they decided to delay it until the day after the election. The day after the election, they're going to decide on what to do about fracking. I mean, isn't that a very clever scheme there? <laughs> Let's wait until the election's over, then we'll decide about fracking. But Well, I mean, are any of them elected people? Yeah. Yeah, they're elected. They take legislators, like they take a sampling of legislators. I don't know the exact process for nomination. So is the JCAR like a secret? Yeah, it's like a secret committee of the uh, of the legislature. <laughs> it's not all that secret since they have a website, but <laughs> just like. <laughs> but yeah, it's I believe twelve of them, and uh, they they want to hear. I'm sure they want to hear exactly what you think about fracking. Scientists can now see frackers fingerprints all over polluted water. People are getting sick all across fracking country, and many are blaming their mysterious illnesses. Headaches, excruciating rashes, even liver damage. Okay, those aren't that mysterious, but (laughs) where it comes from. On the chemicals, oil and gas companies have been pumping into the earth. But thanks to trade secret laws, which allow companies to stay mum, that's right, mum, about Chemicals in their fracking fluid. Fracking there is not a cuss word. It's an actual type of fluid. Yeah. In their fracking fluid, it has been difficult to pin the blame on the practice. Until now, that is. Researchers from Dartmouth College, Stanford University, and the French Geological Survey. Okay, wait a second. This is three countries. Yeah, different countries are cooperating to work on this. (laughs) They're in trouble. Yeah. (laughs) So researchers from Dartmouth... Stanford and the French Geological Survey claim they've created a tool that detects a specific chemical fr- fingerprint unique to fracking fluid, allowing scientists to pinpoint fracking as a culprit in water pollution. 
Yeah, that's important because, you know, they try to diffuse responsibility just like they diffuse poisons. <laughs> well, I mean, it's still not saying who is responsible because it's a trade secret what chemical they use. Yeah, but if you can if you can prove that it came from fracking, then you can narrow down the list of who's the likely, <laughs> the likely <laughs> suspects. <laughs> so according to the research, borum and lithium, which both occur naturally in shale, mix with fracking fluid when it's injected underground, altering the wastewater's chemical makeup in ways different from other fossil fuel extraction methods. So here's a quote uh, from a geochemist at Duke University. Many of the fracking operations today are happening in areas that have a legacy of 20, 30 years of conventional oil and gas development. So when there's a contamination, the fracking companies can say, oh, it's not us. It's those companies who've been around for 30 years. We now have the tools to say, well, sometimes you're right, and sometimes you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And hence, usually they're probably wrong. Fracking operations might have been able to hide behind trade secrets in the past, but this new chemical fingerprint test could change all that Hmm. and force them to own up to the damage they're done to local water supplies and human health. We'll raise a glass of non-flammable water to that. (laughs) Yeah. Wow, people actually holding people accountable for their actions? That sounds pretty... Well, you said people, though. Well, corporate persons. (laughs) Like, gotcha. I'm sure the executives will still get away with the golden parachute, but the company will be stopped. I had a great idea for a show as you were reading this article. It's CSI fracking. You could have the scientists researching and investigating what company caused the poisoning, and then they catch them and they all go to jail. Who would be the sponsor of that show? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you have to have advertisers. I'll, I'll give five dollars. <laughs> let's take up a collection. It'll be a low-budget show. <laughs> All right. Let's see what other news we've got here. Well, before you start, this ties in with uh, this blog I've been reading. Yeah, I've heard of this blog. It's a future blog set in the year what twenty thirty. Yeah. About how Miami ha- got underwater. Yeah. So here, some people are preparing for. That. Yeah. And then inevitability. Yeah, the, bl- the blog is called goodbyemiami.com and, uh, the inevitability here is the rising of the ocean. Cause I mean, we don't notice it as much here immediately in southern Illinois. We don't have oceans. We're not on the ocean. But if you're living in Miami and you got about six feet between you and the ocean, then, you know, yeah, <laughs> you notice it more. So the city of South Miami officials are calling for South Florida secession. What? They want to secede from northern Florida. Is that possible? Well, we'll find out, won't we? There's like a series of swamps in the middle, right? So if, you know, when the sea rise rises, they will just naturally. Yeah. They'll naturally so they might as well prepare it. for it. Yeah, they might as well get their own state then. Well, South Miami officials have passed a proposal that would divide Florida into two states. They've passed it already. They actually passed it. So the city of South Miami officially has said that they want to split from northern Florida. That's pretty big news. I mean, if I'm just hanging out on a street corner somewhere saying, let's secede, that's that's not really big news. It's just a crazy person. <laughs> so it's, it's normal. Yeah, it's normal. It's a day ending in Y. But here, the, the city there officially said that they want to split. Vice Mayor Walter Harris said he created the proposal because of growing frustration of northern Florida's apathy on the effects of climate change in south Florida. Quote, We have to be able to deal directly with this environmental concern, and we can't really get it done in Tallahassee, Harris told the Sun-Sentinel. Quote, I don't care what people think, it's not a matter of electing the right people. 
The proposal, which passed on October 7th, City Commission meeting, notes that sea level is expected to rise 3 to 6 feet in the next 100 years, and it highlights the wide environmental disparity between northern and southern Florida. Now, we wouldn't know anything about disparity between no- northern and southern parts of the state here, would we? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's interesting. This resolution would allow the Sunshine State to be split in half, yeah. with South Florida containing 24 counties. Now, the proposal must be approved by officials in each county that would make up the new state, and, of course, would need to be approved by Florida State Legislature before going into effect. Yeah. It's like, yeah, sure, you can be your own state. We don't want you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, South Miami Mayor Phil Stoddard did not mince words on northern Florida's relation with the southern half of the state. Quote, it's very apparent that the attitude of the northern part of the state is that they would just love to saw the state in half and just let us float off into the Caribbean, Stoddard told the Sun Sentinel. So, I mean, they're, they're making it easy. It's just like, they're, they're not like, holding back at all, are they? No, they must be really frustrated. Well, I could imagine, you know, like, you try, your entire, your cities are starting to go underwater. Like, literally, they're already seeing some of the flooding. And people in the northern part of the state are like, eh, it's not our problem. I mean, it says here um, that the southern half of the state averages less than 15 feet above sea level. Well, the northern half averages 120 feet above. Yeah. And so if it does rise three to six feet, I mean, that's more than, you know, that's a quarter to half of southern Florida will be covered with water. Yeah. And a lot of people don't think about, too, like that's the sort of year-round coverage of water. If anytime there's storms, tides, all that sort of thing, it gets higher. So if it even rises a few feet, there are a lot of places in south Florida that are going to be in serious trouble. And it's already risen about a foot, so it's it's coming. So South Miami's trying to prepare. A report just came out showing the U.S. lead in energy efficiency. Massachusetts, California lead the U.S. in energy efficiency. Now, I don't want to be like a, a bad mouther, but <laughs> compared to what? Yeah, just like, compared to Illinois, apparently. Okay. Massachusetts, California, Oregon, Rhode Island, and Vermont are the most energy efficient states in the U.S., according to an annual ranking released Wednesday by the American Council for an Energy Efficient Economy, or A-C-E-E-E-E. Oh, I, I think I threw in an extra E. Yeah. The least efficient states are North Dakota, Wyoming, South Dakota, Mississippi, and Alaska, according to the ranking, which is based on each state's energy efficiency policies for utilities, transportation policies, building codes, appliance efficiency standards, and other factors. So um, I do know that Illinois, we do have a pretty strict energy efficiency building code, mm-hmm. like a new one. Yeah. Um that that means when you build something new it's energy efficient. Yeah. And I mean this is just logical. You build something that uses less energy, therefore you save a lot of money. Yeah, you it know. should be common sense not to waste, you know, even if you're not thinking about climate change, it's like why waste all that energy? Now the IC EEE, which receives funding from the US government, utilities and other sources, issued a ranking in July of the most energy efficiency of the world's largest economies. Do you think they'll badmouth, like, the people who fund them? Yeah, it seems like they kind of are indirectly. Well, the U.S. ranked 13th on this list, far behind Germany, Italy, the European Union, because the U.S. 
resists widespread public transportation and lacks a national energy saving plan and a national greenhouse gas reduction plan. Yeah. Most of our states don't even have a greenhouse gas reduction plan. Yeah. So, so Illinois didn't end up in the bottom of the barrel, but it's also not quite at the top of the pack. I mean, those building standards sound like they're a good thing, but maybe we're not making our utilities be efficient. Well, I mean, we have uh, the most c- nuclear plants and the worst coal- pollutant coal plants in the United States. So, yeah, <laughs> I mean, we don't want to ruin that high ranking. Yeah, <laughs> we wouldn't want we wouldn't want to spoil things for them and get energy savings and a healthy planet and healthy people. All right. Well, en- energy efficiency really is important for reducing CO two. So I'm glad to hear them at least looking into that. So, well, speaking of CO2 and greenhouse gas and such. This one's about Keystone XL Pipeline. Do you know that today is National Baloney Day? So uh, I don't believe anything you say. Oh, I'm full of baloney. <laughs> Just like, I'm full of baloney. Isn't anyway. that funny that we have come up with a saying about a f- type of food <laughs> that it's so bad yeah. that we say you're full of it. Instead of saying full of the other bad word, yeah. we say full of baloney. It makes you wonder what's in baloney. <laughs> Just like... <laughs> Uh, sorry, I just wanted to say that when we're, you're starting yeah. to talk about... Um, I think the baloney council is going to come after us. <laughs> so yeah, Keystone XL Pipeline necessity case faces jury in Oklahoma. On April 22nd of last year, Alec Johnson disrupted construction of the Keystone XL Pipeline near Tushka, Oklahoma, by training himself to heavy equipment and effectively halting work. Eventually, the police were called and Mr. Johnson was removed from the site and arrested. Now more than a year after his arrest, Alec Johnson will attempt to make U.S. history by becoming the first to argue that he was justified in breaking the law to prevent a greater harm, the urgent threat of climate change. I thought we read about an article that said... We just read about an article. I think they're not counting that one because the district attorney decided to throw out the case. Right, so they didn't actually argue it. They didn't actually argue it. So, I mean, I honestly was wondering if that's part of why he didn't argue it. He's like... I don't want to have to deal with setting a precedent and letting everybody <laughs> do this. <laughs> Let somebody else deal with that headache, and somebody else is going to have to. So this kind of necessity defense rooted in climate justice could have national implications for the growing movement of resistance to the fossil fuel industry across the U.S. Now, it would be harder to do that in Oklahoma versus the other one was the East Coast. Yeah, East Coast. Well, I mean, maybe that's part of why this one is going through is East Coast the uh, attorney ended up being sympathetic and saying, well, you actually have a point. We're just going to bargain down your charges. But in Oklahoma, <laughs> they might not do that. <laughs> they might actually pursue this. But Mr. Johnson will argue that enforcing future generations' rights to a stable climate and livable environment is not a crime. His defense will introduce a commanding consensus of climate science, including that of renowned climate scientist Dr. James Hansen, who is preparing written testimony for the consideration of the court which will make clear that effective action to address the climate crisis is urgent and can no longer be delayed. Mr. Johnson will also draw attention to the imminent health and safety risks posed by Keystone XL. He will address contamination threats to people living near the 1,700-mile pipeline route, the health problems experienced by First Nation communities from the extraction of tar sands, and the toxic refinery emissions that's forcing uh, a pot that's forced upon Gulf communities upstream. So that's big. That's big news. I mean, part of why it's such a big precedent to deal with is if he does it successfully, then other activists who make that defense might be more successful. 
Because if it's okay for one person to do it, then anybody who's taking direct action to stop climate change is, is therefore in a similar situation. Climate activists take divestment to the banks. There's a new divestment movement in town. It has not set its sights on universities or pension funds or foundations or churches or Rockefellers. Those are the usual targets for divestment campaigns because A, they have a lot of money and B, like to think of themselves as doing good in the world. Instead, the new divestment movement is aiming at a group of institutions that have a lot of money and don't do much of a, and don't have much of a moral imperative at all. Especially not if it might possibly get in the way of A, which is a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> that group would be banks, in quote. Why is the banks, in quote? Banks. <laughs> so it stands to reason that the Move Your Money campaign, which started this week in the United Kingdom, asked people to add some financial threat to their moral argument. The campaign's form letter reads, As a citizen concerned about our global capacity to meet targets and reduce effects of climate change, I cannot give my financial support to an institution that bankrolls climate change. Therefore, as a customer of your bank, I therefore make the following demands. Within the next three months, disclose all of your investments in the fossil fuel industry. Within the next three months, commit to a five, ten-year plan to completely divest from fossil fuels. If you do not meet these requests, I will be left with no choice but to move my money to a financial institution that takes its social, ethical, environmental responsibilities seriously. I will do this on February 2015 unless you show a solid, lasting, and credible commitment to fossil fuel divestment as outlined above. Hmm. I wonder if we could do that. I mean, I use a local bank here, but I'm sure they invest in, you know... Stocks and bonds and junk like that. So, yeah, need to find out. Um, of course, it's not a big deal if you don't have much money in their bank, is mm-hmm. it? Yeah. I mean, but it is a big deal if, you know, thousands of people are saying that. Yeah. I mean, they're going to take notice. Yeah. If enough people say that, you know, if one person says it, they might not care, but if a lot do, they may take notice. Now, if the banks don't oblige, the alternative that the campaign offers is a very short list of quote-unquote ethical banks. Yeah. Now, I don't know if that means, you know, they're quote-unquote banks or quote-unquote ethical. But yeah. In the U.S., where ethical banks are in even shorter supply, a divestment move like this would probably involve switching your account to a credit union, which might not be a specifically ethical institute, but it's likely to be too small to be in a position to lend to an oil company. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sad. Um, I had my savings in the Permaculture Credit Union, mm-hmm. and they just uh, got acquired. I mean, they just closed up shop. Yeah. And another credit union, um, you know, took over their assets. Yeah. Because they did not have enough people putting money into them. So, um I liked it because I have a permaculture credit union credit card and a sa- permaculture credit union savings account. But, yep, as of last month, they closed up shop. So Yeah, that's too bad. Yeah. So, But, yeah, there's still other credit unions and other options out there other than investing in fossil fuels. There's always another option other than investing in fossil fuels. Today is Make a Difference Day. Now that's the fourth Saturday of 
every month or just this month? I think it I, should be every day. Yeah. <laughs> neighbors helping neighbors. That's a good idea. We could even if it's not officially, we can make it the fourth Saturday of every month. It's also National Bologna Day and National National <laughs> United <laughs> Nations Day. You can't say national on that yeah. one. International <laughs> United Nations Day. So, um, punk for a day and World Pasta Day. Yeah. So, should you punk your neighbor with some kind of like pasta-like substance, like spaghetti squash? <laughs> that would be a good one. That would be. There you go. You make a na- uh, make a difference by giving your punking your neighbor. <laughs> no, that wouldn't work. Yeah. Well, so Sunday is mother-in-law day, so remember to say hi to your mother-in-law. Uh, Monday is national tell a story day. Well, in Scotland and the UK apparently, but you can tell stories here too. We won't. As long as it's not a baloney story. <laughs> yeah. So, Wednesday is hermit day and national Frankenstein day. <laughs> Hopefully you're not a hermit building a Frankenstein. Yeah. <laughs> and Thursday is National Candy Corn Day. No, it's not. It's Mischief Night. <laughs> Get it right. Yeah, very mischievous. I wonder why they would make that National Candy Corn Day. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever figure out why it's called candy corn? Ah, uh, no. Okay. If you stack them in a circle and you look at them, they look like, a, you know, you just keep Looks stacking like them in corn. a circle upward, it looks like an ear of corn. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, what should we talk about? We've got a lot of happenings. Tonight is the Take Back the Night March. Is that part of, um, anything special? Yeah, there's a whole week, or not week, a month of, uh, domestic violence awareness going on. And Take Back the Night March is going on tonight. They're having, uh, at the Women's Center, they're having, uh, let's see. The night starts with Art for Empowerment from 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. over at the Women's Center, 610 South Thompson. And then the march for Take Back the Night begins at 7 p.m. at the Guy House Interfaith Center, 913 South Illinois Avenue. That's the corner of Illinois and Grand. And this is usually big. I mean, uh, you know, quite a few people taking, you know, marching and being vocal and yeah, they being march. empowered. Yeah. yeah, they march, they chant, they have lights, some of them have signs. And it's all about taking back the night and trying to make the streets safe for people. Which is very important right now because there's been quite a few um, sexual assaults recently. Yeah. there's Unfortunately, there's been sexual assaults recently. There have been other acts of violence against women and against others. So this is really an important time right now to show your support for causes like this and for the Women's Center. Because it's, it's happening right here in our community. And this brings awareness to it and helps people feel empowered and gives them more options on how to take action too. Cause at the end of the march they have a rally and they talk about, you know, they talk about domestic violence and they talk about sexual assault and the solutions we can try to pursue individually and as communities. Other happening. SAU Theater Department to hold Halloween costume and prop sale. The, the SAU Department of Theater will hold the almost always annual Ghoul Cool big Halloween costume and prop sale from 9 to noon on Saturday at the McLeod Theater Lobby and Loading Dock. I mean, they have, you know, costumes, clothing, set pieces, unique and unusual, interesting stuff, perfect for a Halloween party, costume contest. There is also stuff that can be worn every day, of course, you know, um, especially if you're into um, dressing up. So... Sounds fun. That is tomorrow, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sales are cash only. 
All right, also coming up tonight, we have uh, Genetic Roulette, The Gamble of Our Lives. This is the latest film in the Sustainable Living film series. It's about genetic engineering, genetic modification. This seminal documentary provides compelling evidence to help explain the deteriorating health of Americans, especially among children, and offers a recipe for protecting ourselves and our future. So that's tonight at 5.30 p.m. at the Long Branch Cafe and Bakery. Also tonight, Movie and Pizza Party, sponsored by Guy House RSO. That's at the Guy House Interface Center um, at 7 p.m. And the Pizza and Movie Party happens every fourth Friday of the month. This month's feature film is Coherence. Yeah, Coherence. Um, now, one thing, while you're at Guy House, you should stop by and look at the new dome that's over the labyrinth. Yeah. That dome was for, I think, like 10 years over... Uh, Bucky's Dome as they saved up money to restore it. Yeah. And so I don't think they've completely restored it, but I think they've restored the outside. So they were able to take the cover dome off and then move it over to the labyrinth, which in the seventies, there was a dome on it called Synergy. Yeah. So it's kind of synergistic <laughs> that a dome comes back to the dome spot. Yeah. So it's like a 43 foot dome. So it's not like small. Yeah, no, it's pretty big. If you've seen the labyrinth over by the Labyrinth Peace Garden by Guy House, you know, it fits over that. So that's the size of the dome. So um, so going back to Guy House, tonight at 7 p.m. is the movie and pizza party. And um, there will be free time afterward to watch other movies, video games, play. You know, basically there's a big screen. So I guess you mm. can project all kinds of stuff on the wall, right? Yeah. Yeah, and that's, I've actually seen that movie. It's a pretty good one. It's got a sort of sci-fi angle, but it's a comet passes overhead and then strange things start to happen and people have to figure out what's real, what's not. Like pretty, right now, you mean? Yeah, like, like right now. <laughs> Just like, yeah. is this current reality or are we the thing in the men in black <laughs> dice, right? What yeah, is that? Are they, yeah, are they going to come and get us? <laughs> Saturdays, 8 till noon, Carbondale Community Farmer's Market at the Carbondale Community High School. If you are part of the community, go to the community market. We are speaking on your community radio, on your community spirit. I was just trying to see how many times I could say community. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a lot of room in the community for that. <laughs> All right. Are you part of the community? I am. I try. <laughs> we also have coming up the Carbondale Zombie Walk. That's coming up on Saturday. It's supposed to Brains, brains. <laughs> so that's coming up on Saturday. Saturday, man. How am I going to fit all this stuff in on Saturday? Such a busy weekend. I don't know how to fit it all. I have to go to the market. I have to go pick up um, an outfit at the at the yard sale. Then go to the zombie walk. Yeah, I think all these happenings you can technically do them all, but it keeps you really busy, doesn't it? Sorry. So yeah, Zombie Walk is coming up. They start the preparations at 1 p.m. over at Guy House Interfaith Center. That's where they do the zombie makeup and the registration. And then they do group photos right before it begins at 4 p.m. And they walk downtown. And there's, uh, it's, so it's, it's a fun, fun thing. And also part of the proceeds go to support WDBX. Yeah, so registration gets you a chance to win prizes, zombie swags, prize gift, burger bucks from Fat Patties, a free zombie makeover between 1 and 4 p.m. at Guy House, and then the best part, pride in supporting WDBX. Yes, you can help keep this station on the air. So, 
So yeah, they're also doing a food drive too. So if you get a chance, bring two cans of two cans or two non-perishable food items. And that's really important nowadays because there's a serious shortage of uh, food at our local. Um, yeah, Good Samaritan food kitchens. Yeah, so Good Samaritan, the other ones in the area, they're all needing the support. So even if you don't show out for the zombie walk, you can give it to them directly. Other happenings on Monday at 4 p.m. at the Carbondale Civic Center. Race, Policing, Justice, and Media, Ferguson and Us. There will be a social justice program about race, policing, justice, and the media from 4 to 8 p.m. at the Civic Center on Monday. There's a lot of stuff. Yeah. There, um, we'll begin with greetings from the mayor and the chancellor. And the police department will be present to answer any questions or concerns people may have about law enforcement or race relations in Carbondale. That's on Monday. Yep. Also on Monday, the Ralph Anderson Interface Dialogues, History and Promise, Monday at 7.30 p.m. at the First Christian Church. This is the first Ralph Anderson Interfaith Dialogue of the 2014-2015 calendar year. And it's always interesting because they get people from um, different faith backgrounds to talk about a topic. And the topic is history and promise. Yeah. And one last one we'll do here. We've got Taste of Faith is coming up on Tuesday. It's uh, at 6 p.m. at the Carbonell Muslim Center. That's the mosque on 530 North Wall. This is an interfaith potluck dinner sponsored each fall by the Carbondale Interfaith Council. Oh, I'm hungry already. Yeah, it's great. They have all these different dishes that everybody brings, all these different foods from different cultures. What is American food? I don't know. <laughs> you know, what is Christian food? Yeah. Well, that's part of the fun of it is they come and they bring some food and they tell a story about it. Oh, like that, that would be very interesting. Yeah. Sometimes if they don't have a specific food, they're like, well, I just like this food. I grew up eating this. That's true. Yeah. I suppose if a Christian made Christian food, it would be Christian food. Yeah. <laughs> right? I yeah. mean, either way, you get to hear a good story about it. So, yeah, that's coming up on Tuesday at 6 p.m. at the mosque. All right. This has hopefully been another exciting and informative half hour of your community spirit. We're live, Lee, sometimes. <laughs> we try to be live, Lee. And uh, local at the radio station here in, in downtown Carbondale. Yeah. This is Your Community Spirit, online at yourcommunityspirit.org. Yes, and we will see you here next week on the radio. In the meantime, enjoy the lovely weather out there.